Good morning, church family. Good to see you all. Good to see you guys online. Uh, thank you, Josh, for coming leading us today. And what powerful worship. It's always good to kick off service praising God. That's what it's all about. Um, appreciate you guys last week. Last week we had a sermon. had a lot of people reach out, like how to get plugged in and stuff. And I appreciate you guys stepping up and answering that call, a lot of you guys. And uh, we did create a volunteer form for some people trying to figure out how to get plugged in. So if you didn't get that or, or wanting to figure out still how ways you can plug in and get involved here at North Point, whether you're at home and you're like, I can't do anything from home. No, there's a lot you can do or here in person. Let me love to get that information to you just to uh, get you plugged in, uh, serving in some ways. So uh, continuing our Luke series, hopefully it's been good for you, it's been good for me, and um, we're going to kick off with this question, hopefully people around you, I want you to discuss this, we're going to get a little personal, okay, get, get the feels all out right now, if you will, and, and so with the people around you, I want you to answer this question, share a time when you felt left out or rejected. Some of you guys, this may come more often than others, maybe not, I don't know, but around you real quick, look at the person next to you, and share a time that you can think you remember feeling left out or rejected. You guys online, if you were able to type it in, type it on the uh, chat log over there so we know, one, you're here, and two, just have some good conversation going, so take a second. I think we need to bring back coffee or something. There's always a difference in the conversation level between the first service and the second service. It's like, Eric, I, I'm my, my first shot of espresso, not my second one yet. I'm just not going yet. Uh, we'll start packing out Red Bulls in the back later so you guys can get up and get going. So uh, I don't know if you've ever felt left out or rejected. If you have not, man, you're one lucky person because let me tell you what it's like real quick. Uh, so uh, it has happened a few times in my life for various reasons, but one that sticks out uh, distinctly in my life, I remember, was when I was in elementary school. I think it was second or third, fourth grade. I can't remember what grade, but uh, I was in class, and I had this crush on a girl named Courtney. And uh, I remember I just I'd had the hops for Courtney when I was young age and stuff, and I decided I was going to ask her to be my girlfriend. And I had it all planned out, and as a matter of fact, I was influenced by a song that came out by George Strait. I don't know if you ever check yes or no. Anybody familiar with that? Do you love me? Do you want to be my friend? If you do, you know, check yes or no. So I literally made a letter with that. I'm like, this is how you do it. This is how you ask her out. You make it up, put it in a letter. So I drew this beautiful picture for him. I said, do you want to be my girlfriend? Check yes or no. And then my brother, we just went to CeCe's Pizza that day uh, before and talked to me. We got like a, one of those coin machine rings. And he's like, dude, give her one of these friendship rings. Like this is going to win her over. So I, I proposed practically to her. I had it all laid out. And so I put it on her desk in our free time at class. And, and I put it there. And I'm like, oh, this is it, man. I'm about to get me a girlfriend. All excited of the stuff, and she, in the middle of class, makes a scene of it, grabs the paper, walks over, slams it on my desk, and walks off. And I'm like, I'm not good about reading signs, but this does not look good so far. And I open it up, and it says, no, you are a ooey-gooey. It just makes this good talk about how awful I am and how she would never want to be my boyfriend, or my, bo my girlfriend, or my friend. Man, my heart was just rejected. I mean, it broke me. It broke me in them. I was never this. I still carry scars. Counseling still today. We talk about it today in my counseling session. Like, it, it, Courtney, if you're watching, I'm not saying your last name because you know who you are. You should be ashamed of yourself. You broke my heart that day. 
I don't know if you've ever dealt with that in your life, where you've dealt with rejection, where you've dealt with being left out in some way, shape, or form. Um, what's sad when I say that, and we laugh about that a little bit, in our society and culture, Christianity has that effect for some reason for people. They have that feeling of being left out or feeling rejected by the church, by God's people, by God himself that goes up the line. And it's funny, people, that sentiment, that feeling of, do you, do you want to be my friend? Do you, do you want me? And they walk away with this feeling of, no, God, God could never love me. The church could never accept me. I could never be a part of it. It's sad, Friday I had some family in my house, and we sat and actually discussed this very thing. And it broke my heart to hear um, that in their own life, they feel that way. They feel the feeling of rejection by the church. And, and the problem is, is when we look at Scripture, and we're looking at Luke, is this who Jesus is? Would Jesus be this type of personality that say, I don't want anything with you. You're ooey-gooey, good for nothing, whatever. But, or is Jesus different in his approach? The reality I want you to see today when we look at Scripture is this, is that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Now, you might hear that, and a lot of times I don't want to blend into where, you know, anybody can uh, do whatever they want, and, and, and there's all, no set of standards that God calls us to himself, but Jesus' gift is for everyone. Jesus wants everyone to come to him. Now, the rebuttal is I was talking with someone the other day about this, saying they said, if Jesus is really for everyone, then why, why is there such thing as hell? Like, why would God send someone to a place of eternal separation? Why would he do that if God really was for everyone? The truth is, that's not God's desire for hell. As a matter of fact, John 3.16 unpacks it beautifully, that God so loved the world, he so loved you and me, that he gave his only son. Why? Because he wanted you to be in relationship and in, in harmony with him. But the truth and reality is, us as human beings, we, we often reject God by our own decision. We say we don't want God at all. The reality is this, listen, God won't force you into something that you don't want. God won't force you into a relationship against your will. And imagine that same situation. This is an illustration the guy named Frank Turek, a apologist, shared once. He said it like this. He said, imagine, imagine that same situation with me and Courtney. I had the crush on her, and I go, Courtney, you, you are going to love me. You're going to marry me someday. You're going to be my wife. And I force her to do it. Would that be love? No, it wouldn't. What if I said, you know, you're forced to be with me the rest of my life, and I force her to walk with me and make her spend her life with me? Now, if I go to her and say, I love you, and all this sort of stuff, and she responds with a question, something like this, like, I don't like you like that. I just want to be your friend. I like you as a friend. Guys, we know what that means, right? Like, you're rejected. She don't want you, and she really doesn't want you as a friend either. She just really has at least a little bit of a heart and doesn't want to completely destroy you. Now, as much as I try to convince, as I lay out every argument and everything within my power to show my love for her, if she still rejects it, what would be the most loving thing to do, in a sense? To, to continue to force her, continue to do this? No, at some point, the most loving thing is to give over to her will and say, I'll give you what you want. You don't want me, then I'm giving you what you want. And strangely, listen, don't mistake, hell is a punishment separation from God, but in a lot of ways, hell is also God giving us over to our own will, which is not him. Sometimes we mistake heaven and hell, heaven being about these golden streets and this beautiful place. Listen, heaven is just a venue. What it really is is about God. That's where God is at. Hell, can I tell you this? You read all the horrible things about hell. What makes hell horrible is not the fire, the brims, all this sort of stuff. What makes hell horrible is the fact that God's not there. And ultimately, it's God giving us over to our wills. As a matter of fact, Romans 1.28 says it like this. It says, and because they, being people, did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so they can do what is not right. At some point, God simply says, listen, this is what you want. I want to give you over to it. 
You see, reality is God is for everyone. God's invitation for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. The question is, do we really want him? And I want to show you that today because it's important that the church models that same behavior when it comes to people in the world, that same behavior that, listen, Christ is for everyone. This is for you. You should feel a place. You should feel like you can come. And I want you to see that in Scripture. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at how Jesus is for everyone in Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 32. We're going to actually cover quite a bit. Uh, we're going to tie it all together. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 32, as you're turning there, we'll cover that, and we'll go to Luke 15 here a little bit and look at parables where Jesus first in Luke chapter 5 lives it, and Luke chapter 15 actually teaches it. So he reinforces it two different ways. He practices it, and then he makes this a part of his doctrinal speak. Like, listen, I want you to do this as well. And so if you turn there, you know this is right after Jesus just invites Peter and some disciples to follow him, and he's making his rounds uh, around the town. Listen to what it says. In Luke chapter uh, 5, we're going to do 12 through 16 first. It says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man who had an advanced case of leprosy. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along this offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed uh, of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And the vast crowds came to hear him preach and, but, uh, to be healed of their disease. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now the first one I want you to look at is man, this leper, who in all, all honesty you look at represents the rejected we see in the world. You see, a man with leprosy of this situation, leprosy was a horrible skin disease that would often spread and was very contagious. And out of protection for society itself, they would often cast lepers to their own island, their own area, and they were not allowed to come out all. As a matter of fact, Leviticus talks about this, that you were supposed to cast them out until uh, the, the disease is ridden of. And, and if you were born with leprosy, you would have to walk around literally, anytime you came near to people, you would have to almost like ring a bell and say, unclean, unclean, so people would know to run away from your presence so that you would not stand a chance of giving them what you have. Now listen, if we've ever experienced what that's like, this COVID season gives us a brief glimpse of what a small idea of what leprosy might be like in a sense of what's going on. And this man represents the rejected. He sees and hears about this Jesus who is healing people. And he goes to him, and I think it's very interesting in verse 12, he goes to him and he just tries, like, listen, maybe this Jesus, maybe he's for me, maybe he can heal me. And he goes and says the same thing. He says, if you're willing, would you heal me? Do you hear in his language, he's already anticipating rejection. He's used to being told, get out of my presence, you're not willing. He's even like, listen, I know I know, I know I'm doing something that's not status quo right here. I should not be doing. I know I'm expecting you to reject me, but if you, will, if you will just touch, if you will just heal me. He didn't even say touch me. And what I think is interesting, Jesus, what does he say? Not only does he say yes, but Jesus reaches out and touches him. Why does he do that? Why does Jesus touch him? We see other times in Scripture where Jesus just says the word, be healed. He tells Jairus' daughter, he tells Lazarus, hey, bro, get up. You've been sleeping when everyone thinks he's dead, right? Get up. He says the words and has the power. But in this situation, a man who's been untouched, a man who's been rejected, he intentionally touches him. Why does he do that? Because he touches a much deeper wound. A man who, man who has not seen or felt human compassion in so long has been rejected. He touches him right where he needs to be healed. Not only of his leprosy, but just affection in the most part right there. And throughout these situations, you see Jesus time and time again. 
he heals them in a manner that complements their pain. And he does it. What's interesting to me is he tells Jesus, he tells them, man, this is, listen, don't, don't go tell anyone, but go tell the priest. What's that all about? Don't, don't tell anyone what happened. Oh, but go tell the priest. You see, he goes and tells them to go tell the priest, and this comes from, as well as the Old Testament, the Zondervan Bible says like this. It says, even though Jesus had cleansed this man, he remained in social limbo until a priest examined him and declared him clean, and the man had made the appropriate offerings in the temple. See, only a priest, not a doctor or a holy man, could give him a clean bill of health so that he could rejoin the family. By, by going to the priest, it's the only way this man can be reintroduced in society. You have someone who represents the rejected inside, someone who, out of safety for others, feels outcast and rejected by people. Jesus goes to him and touches him where it hurts the most and provides healing. See, Jesus is for everyone. Let's look at another situation. Look at uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. It says, one day while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea as well as Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. It says, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. And they tried to take him inside of Jesus, but they couldn't reach out because, reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. And they lowered the sick man on his mat down to the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you the Son of Man has the authority to even forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately... As everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. This second man I want to point to you represents the ignored. You have a man who's been lame his whole life. He's not able to walk, and suddenly they hear about this Jesus guy that is able to heal. And they go to him, and they can't get in. Why? Because of the crowds. Well, what is going on here? I don't know about you, but my, my parents and my grandparents raised me to the fact that, you know, if, if you're sitting in a seat on a bus and there's a lady or anybody else pretty much, you give up your seat. You give up your seat. You provide. You take care. You do this. It's just common courtesy. I remember as a young nine-year-old kid being with my grandmother, and I went inside a store, and I literally cut in front of a lady, opened up, and I'll, I think I pretty much pulled the door behind me so to not let them in. My grandmother to teach me a lesson, made me stand there for 20 minutes, and every person came in, opened the door, opened the door, over and over. She says, you always open the door and hold it open for people. Now, my grandmother taught me that common courtesy. You have a paralyzed man being carried in on a stretcher by four people. What is going on? Why do they not let him in? Why are they not doing this? Because this man is ignored. He is such a, a bottom of the caste of society that they can't even see or acknowledge his existence here. They go to such lengths that they literally crawl on top of his house, which in this culture and time was not an odd situation to have access to the top. They literally imagine digging a hole and lower him right in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus takes him and makes him the center of attention. Someone who is once ignored and rejected by society, who no one even sees anymore, is suddenly seen by Jesus and made the center of attention. As a matter of fact, as he's seen, Jesus was a say in verse 20. It says, seeing their faith. Jesus said, young man, pick up your mat. But yet, the very next thing we see the Pharisees, what? The teacher's law are aring. Who does he think he is? This man blasphemes. 
Uh, only God can forgive sins. They still have yet to acknowledge the paralyzed man. They still don't see him. They're, they're still ignoring him in this situation. Even as he's broadcast right in the middle of the situation. And Jesus takes it a step further. He's like, listen, you, you guys don't even know who I am. You think I can't forgive sins? Watch, I can make this guy walk too. And that's even less significant than me forgiving sins. And tells the guy to get up. And it ends with this saying at verse 26, everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and what? They praised God, exclaiming what? We have seen amazing things today. Jesus makes the unseen seen. He makes the ignored the center of attention. He heals them right where their need is. He comes and meets them where they're at. You see, Jesus is for everyone. So you have the rejected, you have the ignored, but look at the last one, verse 27 through 32, you have the despised. It says, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Now I'll stop right there real quick. In case you don't know, tax collectors for the Jewish people were a menace to society. They were traitors. They worked for the enemy, literally worked for the enemy. And for them to make their ends means, the government might come say, listen, you need to go tax 10%, and you tax whatever you want on top of that to make your means, to make your effort. And they'd often abuse their power, so a tax collector who is wealthy is someone who not only was, was in cahoots with the enemy, but was also robbing you even more and above and beyond. They were the most despised of the people in the situation. Levi is a guy that is rejected outcomes of a society and has no sense of community among his people anymore. All for what? The mighty dollar. He sacrificed it all. And he's what? He's sitting on the job. Can you imagine sitting on the job, doing your jobs? It says he was at his tax booth. And Jesus walks up and looks straight at the guy and reads his heart, reads what's going on. Someone who has been so out of fellowship with all mankind. And he says what? Come and be my disciple. And so what did Levi do? He got up and left everything and followed him. Jesus knew exactly what his heart's desire was. Jesus offers him something that he desperately needs. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't make him the center of attention. He offers him community and fellowship. He offers exactly what this man needs in his moment. Do you see how in each situation, Jesus is meeting them not just where they're at, but where their need is, where their deepest heart need is being met right now. And so later, what does Levi do? He's so excited. He held a banquet in his home, and he had Jesus as the guest of honor. And says, many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. I love that new converts are sometimes the best evangelists, aren't they? We're so scared to invite our friends, but people just come to Christ. It's the greatest thing ever. And they're the ones inviting people left and right. And we lose that luster as time goes on. What happens to us? I think in my own neighborhood, I got people around me. I'm like, I don't even know if people in my neighbors live next to me. Some of them even know that I'm a pastor. What I do for a living? Have I even opened my mouth? But Levi here, first thing, he's given up everything. But verse 30, obviously some people has to rain on his party. So the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. And he says, why, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. See, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Je- Jesus comes to the rejected. Not just that, he goes to the, the despised. The people in the world who look at them and say, you know what, you are unfitting of anything. How dare you, you're an awful person. Not just that, Jesus goes and eats at his house, which is not a big deal to us, we would think. There's something about eating with people in our culture and society, but in this culture and society, you would only invite people to your house that shared a common uh, social status of you, someone who had the same bearing. More or less, you're saying we're on an equal level playing field. Do you understand what Jesus did by going to his house? That's why they're looking at him like, you went to the house of sinners. Jesus, that means you're one of them now. Jesus is redefining this whole thing. Why? Because he's making it clear. Listen, I'm for everyone. 
This is all about acceptance and community. This is for everyone. Jesus is for the rejected. Jesus is for the ignored. And Jesus is for the despised. And you see it right here. Now listen, does it mean that there's not judgment, condemnation for those who refuse to accept the love and will of God? No, it's clear. There's a place called hell. It's in Scripture. The world tries to deny this exists. But literally, God has tried to move aside heaven and earth to make it possible for you to come into relationship with him and others. And you see all throughout Scripture, he goes out of his way to try to offer this invitation and to get people to come. And somehow, us who are believers are called to mimic and be like Christ, and yet we, we shug off this aspect of God and say, I'll do everything, but I really don't want them. I really don't want this part of what's going on. And the church ends up becoming a symbol of who Christ is. And somehow this picture we see of Christ living out is nothing like who Christ really is in the church, is it? People walk away and feel like the church is in the people of God, the most unloving people in the world. And Jesus didn't just live this. He, he taught it too. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Once you see some parables, and it takes us even deeper down the rabbit trail. Luke chapter 15. You see three different parables that we're going to unpack. You see a parable of a lost sheep, which a lost sheep you're going to see represents the rejected. You're going to see a lost coin, which represents the ignored. And you're going to see a lost son who represents the despised again. And so let's start in verse 1 through 2. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people when eating with them. I want to stop right there. I love that situation. You have two sets of people, people who would not be expected to be a part of the situation. And what do they do? They're listening to Jesus. And yet the religious elite, what do they do? They're complaining about Jesus. I wonder sometimes, this is just kind of a whole, this is just, this is icing on the cake for you right now. I wonder how often we come to church and do the same thing. Do we actually come before the table and listen and say, Jesus, what do you have to teach me today? Instead of saying, God, you know what, you really, you really didn't do what I thought you were going to do here. That, that, that sermon really wasn't that great, God. You could have done better with that. Or, you, know, you could have done better with a pastor than that. You could have done better with this. And we complain and we gripe about whatever. And so Jesus, seeing the situation, seeing the issue going on, and it's important to understand the situation as he's about to unpack these parables, two sets of people, one who are hungry for the Lord and others who think they have the right to the Lord and are complaining about it. And he's about to unpack some parables, and look what he says. So Jesus told him the story. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? But won't he leave his 99 others into the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? He uses a real-life situation they've been familiar with. Listen, you guys know people like this, shepherds. If they have 100 sheep and one of them strays off, what would they do? Come on, everyone knows the same. What would they do? You're a shepherd. What would you do? They would go find that sheep because they're held accountable for it, right? Now, most of us despise logic because what happened? He's leaving the others at loss, at potential risk right here. Most people say, listen, you don't want to put him at loss. You don't want to just leave that one. He's rejected, you know, by society. It is what it is. He says he leaves to go find the one. And it says in verse 5, and when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, listen to what happens. He will call together his friends and neighbors and saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Again, taking context of the audience, he's preaching to two different people. The people who are lost and wanting to hear, he's like, listen, God's chasing after you and he wants you because Jesus is for everyone. But to the Pharisees at the same time, he says, listen, when I get back and they come home, there needs to be celebration like none other. He's preaching to both audiences at once. 
And he doesn't stop there. He uses another one. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. If you don't know, this is a very, like, minuscule amount. It's like the guy who, you know, I don't know if you're that type of person. That if you find a penny on the road, you pick it up. I don't touch it. I don't know what's on that penny. I'm not doing it. But maybe you're that type. Heads up, lucky luck, whatever, you know. I don't know what you're like. And it's like this person who's lost a penny. And it's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to go find because I've lost one. It says, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? It seems absurd, doesn't it, over a coin? It says, and when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, and even with sinners who repent. You have as well here the ignored. I don't know about you, if I had, you know, a, a penny lost, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time searching for it. it, it what, it's not a big deal. It's not worth much. It's completely ignored. But Jesus paints a different picture. You who feel ignored and feel rejected and feel like you're nothing. Listen, God will do all he can to come and get you and try to come and get your attention and presence. And when he brings it back, listen, the rest of you, listen, you, you need to celebrate like it's, like it's something worth celebrating here. There's something special here. He's talking about the rejected, the ignored, but then he also talks about the despised, and this is where it really hits home. Listen, he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him a story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the state now before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. I'm not going to unpack this whole text a lot, but more or less this is a big saying. He's coming to his dad more or less saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Would you just give me my inheritance now? And as a younger son, it would not have been near the amount the older son would have got because of the culture and law and all they had. It's more or less like, like Dad, I know you got lots of money. Just give me my $1,000 and let me be done with you. I'm done. And this has been such a despised thing in society. If you were a Jewish person listening to that, you're like, listen, let, kick that kid out, man. He's as good as dead. And they would literally, if someone did this in this society, and you said this to your dad, they would literally, after you've been gone, hold a funeral service for you with the empty cat, you name it, hold a funeral service because literally they believe you were dead now to that family, no longer a part of what's going on. And so he gets up and he leaves and takes his inheritance in verse 13. It says, just a few days later, this young son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all his money in wild things. About this time, his money ran out and great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and a man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. This is the lowest of low jobs you could have had. He said the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Can you imagine a situation being so hungry as you're feeding slop to pigs going, God, that really looks good. That really looks like a Thanksgiving meal right there. I'm ready to just go after it. Can you imagine being in that kind of hunger right then and there? It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Even the lowest people in my father's household are treated much better than I am right now, he says. He says, so I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Like, I'm not even asking to be restored. I'm just asking for pity and mercy. He says, please take me on as a hired servant. So he returns to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. What does this mean? It means every day the father's been looking out, waiting for his son to come back. Man, any day I believe he's going to come back. I believe he's going to come back. And finally he sees him in a distance. Why? And he goes running toward him is what it says. This is filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced and kissed him, which is such a significant moment because, listen, this son is dead. If people had got to him first, they would have stoned and killed him to death before he ever made it to the door. But before they get the chance to, the father runs and restores him, places his arms around him and says, this is my son, do not touch him. And his son said to his father, he's ready for his speech, his father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. But I love verse 22, the father cuts him off, then he let him finish his sentence. 
His father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we fatten because we're going to have a celebration. He restores him to full sonship. Doesn't just make him a higher hand, but restores him. Gives him all the symbols, all the gestures that would have made him of the complete son right back to where he was. Something this man does not deserve. And they killed the fattened calf. He pulls out the nicest steaks they got. This is the biggest party that's going to happen in the community. He says, we must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, and now he's found. And so the party began. And you have a situation where Jesus talks about the despised person who deserves to be rejected, but yet he runs out to him, restores him, and loves him. Why? Because Jesus is for everyone, and he's ready to start a celebration. He's ready for everyone to join in the celebration. Listen, my children, other people, listen, celebrate with me what's going on here. The despised, the ignored, the rejected are coming to the throne of God. Celebrate that with me. Let's have a party. Let's make this something worthwhile. Let's get excited about this. Why? Because Jesus is for everyone. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you? Are you? You see it over and over again in these parables. What does he say? He says, let's have a celebration. Celebrate with me. Celebrate with me. He wants to have a celebration. And what's scary is where we see ourselves in the story is verse 25 and on, the older brother. What happens? Look. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And listen to what he does. Listen to the attitude. And he asked one of his servants who, what was going on. He doesn't even walk up. He has a hunch what's going on. Why? Probably because his dad's been looking every day for his brother to come back. He has a hunch what's going on. He does not even want to walk into the house. He's like, hey, you servant, go tell me what's going on there. I'm not even going to walk in there. And his servant goes in and comes back and reports to him what's going on. He says, your brother is back. He told him, your brother has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of a safe return. Verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And what happens? His father came out and begged him to come in. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all the time you never gave me one of your young goats for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. Who's holding up the grudge here? The father doesn't say anything. But he's going to be like, listen, I'll tell you what your son's been doing. I've heard about it. Look at how he's blowing the money. This is how you were paying him? He says, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. In verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate his happy day, this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And then you go to verse 16, and Jesus starts a whole different thing. But what's interesting is the story ends with a cliffhanger. G- Jesus doesn't end the story. Why? Because he's, he's talking to two audiences. He's talking to tax collectors who are needing this truth to understand, listen, I- I'm for you. I don't care if you feel ignored, rejected, despised by society, I'm for you. And I want you to be part of my kingdom. I want you to be part of what's going on here. But, but he's also speaking to the older brother. He says, listen, I want you to celebrate with me. And he puts a platform now. And it's a story that leaves cliffhanger where the Pharisees are listening. It's, what are they going to do? Are they going to come to the table and say, you know what? We were wrong. This is what the Messiah is all about and start celebrating. Or they continue to be on the outside complaining about their own, what's going on. It, it's the craziest situation. It opens up the question for us was this. Will you celebrate anyone that comes to the Lord? Honestly. Like, like one of the most depressing things, I was talking to someone just the other day, as a matter of fact, we're, we're going to probably be baptizing someone next Sunday, I'm excited about this, and they came from Life Church, and I was talking to them, it's such a cool story hearing about them, and I said, you've seen our baptism, like, yeah, you know, it's a little bit different in Life Church, I'm like, yeah, no, I get it, I get it, I'm not dogging us or, or picking up Life Church, but I'll tell you right now, sometimes when we baptize people, it's, oh, cool, it's a golf clap, 
Do we celebrate? Do we bring out the fat and calf? Like, listen, someone's life has changed today. Man, this is a celebration like any celebration. Do we like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, look at that. We dunked someone else in water up front. If it was your child, what would you do? You saw me break down in tears back there the day, Sunday. I never thought. Where's our passion and excitement for the Lord, for what God is doing in our midst? Will you celebrate anyone that comes to the Lord? Let me ask you this. Here's another question you have to ask ourselves. Will you pursue anyone that needs the Lord? At what extent will you go to make sure your neighbors, the people, the people you come in contact, come to know this grace and truth? Will you share in the same passion that God has? Will you pursue them and hunger for them? Will you do this? Here's another question. Who in your circle is the rejected, ignored, or despised? Who are those people that you are intentionally sitting at the table with saying, listen, I want you to know about this Jesus I'm talking about. Come to my house. Too often it's just are like us and do the same thing like us, or people who we stand to profit off of, who can help us carry up the social letter or make us feel better about ourselves. But very rarely do we invite people to the table that we have nothing to gain from them. And we miss it completely. Can I tell you something? The church should be marred by, dis- by, by diversity. You should walk in here and see people from all walks of life, from different cultural backgrounds, from different economical, ethical, whatever backgrounds coming into this church. Does that mean we're all going to agree? No, but it means we're all united in Christ and we want them to come to the same unity we have. And yet somehow churches become full of people that look the same, act the same, dress the same, talk the same, believe the same, everything's the same, and that's not a biblical church. Jesus chose 12 men that could not have been more different to come and unite his kingdom under what? Him. This is the church. He says in John chapter 13, verse 35 through, 34 through 35, he says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. And listen to this. By this, by what? By this love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will, I've said this over and over again until I'm blue in the face, but how will people come to know that Jesus is real? By the fact that when they walk in here, they see love that defies logic. How in the world do you like that person? How, how are you showing kind of that person has nothing? That, that person's broke. Their life's in, in ruins. They're, they're, they're rejected by society. They're ignored by society. But yet somehow you're continuing to invite them to your table. And somehow, listen, and I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. The church has lost this. And people are walking around feeling like God, because we represent him, can never love me. God never wants me. And I can never live up. And that's not the Jesus I read about in Scripture. So the church, we have a calling to go and pursue them. Jesus is for everyone. My favorite part of the story is in verse 28. Because Jesus is for the rejected. Jesus is for the ignored. Jesus is for the despised. But verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. Can I tell you something? Jesus is also for the whiny, stuck-up, self-righteous Christians. That's me. He's, he's for the people who are arrogant and think it's all about themselves. Jesus comes out to them too. Hey, listen, you're missing this, but I'm out here pursuing you. Please stop. I don't know where you are in the story, but at some point we can respond to who Jesus really is. When you bend our knee and say, God, listen, I need you. I know you're for everyone, but I believe you're for me. And I want you in my life. And God, I'm going to fight for others as well. And so my question to you is this, plain and simple. How are you going to respond today? Do you see your need for Jesus? 
Do you see others' needs for Jesus? Not just your immediate circle, people outsiders, people you drive by on a daily basis, people you're like, I don't want them. Yes, them. It's time for the church to start being and reflecting the love of Christ in the church. And so as the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask that you just respond in kind with what God's leading in your heart. Maybe for you, you need to respond to the fact that Jesus is for you. It is not God's desire that anybody goes to hell, that everyone comes to salvation. Maybe you're the rejected. Maybe you're the ignored. Maybe you're the despised. Or maybe if you're like me, you're the self-righteous, arrogant Christian that sometimes has been doing this your whole life, and you need to realize, listen, I need this Jesus too. You got your affairs and orders. Hey, good for you. Let me say this. Let me challenge you this. Then start being the church. Start being the love of Christ and start being for everyone. Does that mean we condone and accept sin? No, but it means we love them where they're at and try to bring them to the throne of God so they can understand the truth of who Christ is. Follow his example. Father God, I love you and praise you. You are good and there's truth in your word that you want us to follow. There is, there's an example that you set that we somehow change to fit our own desires and will and create a God of our own making. God, I pray you stir in our heart and help us to believe the truth that you are for us. You are for everyone here, and you want us to come before your throne and come into a relationship with you. Help us to believe that truth. No one is outside of your love, but it's our choice to accept it. God, I pray you'd also convict our heart to pursue others. Have us have a heart and hunger for others, to bring others to you, to celebrate, to get excited when people come to the Lord. Help us not to be the older brother sitting outside griping and complaining, but God, help us to join the party. Help us to add to the party. Thank you for being present in this moment. I thank you for giving words that are hard to swallow sometimes. But God, I pray you give us conviction to leave this place and change. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.